Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this wonderful day and thank you for each one that is here. Lord, we now ask that you would take our service time, you take each part of it, and use it to your honor and to your glory. We ask that you would help us to worship you today, that you would remind us of the greatest truth in all history. You do not change, you do not need to change. Lord, it is us who needs the change. We ask that you would affect that change in our lives today, whether it be for salvation, whether it be for righting of wrongs in our own hearts. Lord, we ask that you would do your work, that our lives may glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please remain, and if you believe that Jesus is a great Savior, could you say amen with me this morning? Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. If you look on the front of your bulletin is the starting point for our text. It kind of just worked out that way. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 13 simply says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'd like you to read that with me if you would, all out loud. Let's try that together. Here we go. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now let's try that one more time. That was kind of weak here. Read it out nice and loud all together. Here we go. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, I want you to just take a moment and think about the great contrast that verse presents to the news that we get every day. I mean, how many of you have heard that we live in unprecedented times in American history? I mean, every day. And all the rules are different. And everything uh, cannot be the same, and I, I don't mean to just be political, but I can't help poking a little bit of fun. The smartest man in the world to run our uh, Department of Treasury can't even file his own taxes on time. But that's okay, because we live in a different time, and he's the only guy that can solve the economic problems in which we live. Does that make sense to you? I hope not. We live, we've been told it's a very complex time and simple answers will not avail anymore. We're told that everything has changed, that we're charting new territory, and I'm just here to remind you today that God has not changed. Could we say amen to that? He, he doesn't need to change. He's already got it all figured out. It, he doesn't need a new day, a new music, uh, a new understanding of life, a new perspective. Uh, he doesn't need a new set of glasses to focus in on what's going on. And by, by the way, has mankind changed? Are we any more messed up today than our forefathers? Somebody say, oh, yeah, well, I used to work in a nursing home when I was in Bible college. And 
I heard some stories. Let me tell you, those old people were just as messed up as we were, as, as my generation. And, of course, that was 20 years ago, and somebody said, listen, you don't understand anything that's going on. Um, could, could I make a challenge for you today? Would you just listen and evaluate this statement? The number one problem in American society today is selfishness. How many would agree with that statement? That's so simple, isn't it? If we could just stop selfishness, we'd solve an awful lot of problems. But you're not going to stop selfishness because you can't reach in down inside the human heart and change what's already there. But I also want to remind us today, Jesus Christ, the same, Yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't need to change his approach. Tell you the theological cemeteries, that's what I call them because that's what they produce is nothing but dead orthodoxy. And if they're not producing dead orthodoxy, they're, they're producing radically changed doctrine that produces dead churches. There's only one place you can get life. Anybody like to suggest where you might find life? In Him is life. Amen? And the life was the light of men. John chapter 1. Talking about Jesus Christ. If you want to solve the world's problems, we, we don't need a new program. We don't need Mr. Smart that knows more than anybody else because I'll tell you what, have you ever met one of those quote-unquote really smart people? I had an opportunity when I was just a teenager and learned quite an awful lot. This guy was the head of the psychiatry department at the state hospital in the county where I grew up. And he knew somebody who knew somebody who knew me, and he said, listen, I've got to get some help moving from one house to another. He said, do you know some young kid that could help me for a week? And I was the young kid. Now here this guy is, doctor's degrees in education, and he knows everything there is to know about helping people, and he works in the state uh, uh, mental hospital, which at that time was the best one that was available anywhere uh, in the area where I grew up there in Maryland. Now, I'll tell you what. That guy may have been able to get through school, but he told me some of the stories about some of the people he helped, in quotes. And he made some omissions that were just absolutely astounding to me. I thought these people knew things, and 
I've had people criticize me and say, "You're, you're just so down on psychology. Yes, if you only knew this guy, if you could only be with him for the week that I was with him, you'd be down on psychology too, trust me. There was not one vice known to man that this guy wasn't the servant of. Here I am, a 16-year-old boy, and he's offering me cigarettes and booze and a whole basement full of Playboy magazines and everything that you get. I'm sitting there saying, listen, I don't want that garbage. I'm here to help you because Mr. Christie said I could earn some money this week. Just tell me what you want me to do. I've met some of those really smart people. You know what I found out? They're human beings just like we are. The real answers are not in mankind. That's where the problems came from. If you want answers, you've got to get beyond mankind. You've got to go to God. Amen. Now let's read down through this passage here. And we'll see some things that I believe will be helpful to us. Verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them, which have been occupied therein. And that verse right there, verse 9, is so packed full of things that we need today. I mean, when I was growing up, I met a group of people who claimed to be really strong Bible believers, and man, they could talk more about Bible and put more Bible verses together in one sentence than anybody that I'd ever met. But as I began to listen to them and study what they were teaching, I found out that they were always in search of the new doctrine. There was always something new that had to come down the pike. Let me, let me give you an example. This is several years old, but, and some of you have heard it. Does anybody know the spiritual meaning of the number nine? Now, this is one of the new doctrines this guy found out. And I mean, the guy who told me, you thought he had been given a new car. He said, what's one plus six plus one plus one? I looked at him and I said, nine. He said, that's it. You found it. Does anybody know what? 1611 stands for? That's the year the, this Bible was translated into the English language. That was his new doctrine. Now that you have that new doctrine, are you not equipped to live for God? I mean, doesn't that just bless your heart? This is what the writer of Hebrews was telling us be not carried about. With diverse, that means different, and many-faceted doctrines and and strange doctrines. You know, I, I think that qualifies for both. How about you? I mean, what what earthly or spiritual blessing is found out that you can add one plus six plus one plus one and get nine? 
That's why I don't pay attention to anything that guy writes. Nobody is wrong about everything. Almost nobody. But what they're right about has already been written down in here. I've been told all my life, you got, you, you, you got to take in the meat and spit out the bones. You know, there's sometimes you, you have to realize there's a little garbage in there, but just get rid of it and all the good stuff. Hey, I praise God. I've never been hungry enough to want to eat out of a garbage can. I know some people are, and I feel sorry for them, and we do what we can as a church and as individuals to help people like that. But I praise God, I've, I've never been that hungry. Why do we want to be servants of the Most High God and feed out of the spiritual garbage cans of this world? Do you think that's the way God intended us to study His Word? I do this often, and I'm going to do it again this morning. How many people would like to understand the Bible more? Would you raise your hand? I've got a book I recommend to help you understand the Bible more. It's the best book ever written on the Bible. It's the Bible. How many of you would like to have better family life and like personal relationships to be solved and, and really build some things in your family and build a, a life and a relationship with other people that will be a blessing to you and a blessing to God? Now, you can go down to a Christian bookstore and you can buy a hundred books on that subject. But I, I got one I recommend that's a whole lot better than all of them put together. It's this one right here. All the answers for life are in this book called the Bible. There are so many things that are said about the Bible and are put are claimed to be in the Bible by people that if they actually were, there'd be no library in the world big enough to contain the book. Did, I, did that make sense? I mean, people are always saying, well, it's in the Bible if you just go there and look. But when's the last time anybody looked in the Bible? That's what this church is about. We want to look in the Bible every service. Amen? We don't want to just listen to what somebody says about the Bible. It says, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. And we could go on all day. I mean, I could keep you here until the sun comes up tomorrow morning just trying to give you a list of all the different and strange doctrines that people have come up with and they claim that they're based on the Bible. I've talked to many people over the years from completely different, and they said, how do I know that the Bible is true? I said, there's only one way. I said, you're going to have to get in and read it. you got to stop listening to what people say. May I? Thank you for your permission. How many people know what this is? 
This is your daily Bible reading schedule for 2009. If you don't have one, and you would like one, see that man in the back of the auditorium with the tie smiling? That's Brother George. You ask him, he will get you one, all right? Say, how much are they? We do not charge for Bible reading schedules. It's too important. We give them away. We order extra in case you lose yours. We want you to read the Bible. That's God's Word. That is your protection. That is how you're going to know whether it's different or whether it's strange. Heard a preacher preach a great sermon one time. One of these days I'm going to try to copy it the best I can, but things that are different cannot be the same. Isn't that astounding? I mean, that is so deep. If it's not the same, it's not the same. Amen? Is that too deep of a thought to comprehend? And yet, when it comes to the Bible and the things that are written in this book, everything goes. It's, it's all okay. You see, a person will pick up this book and says, God wants you to feel good about yourself. And everybody believes him. Because he's holding a Bible. Now, if we open the pages of the Bible, what does it say about you? It says, for there is none righteous. No, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. All of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It says, for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you want to feel good about those things? Please raise your hand. Let me get your name. We'll sign you up for counseling. You need some help. Amen. You ought not feel good about those things. You ought not rejoice in the fact that you've broken God's laws. These are Bible doctrines, by the way. But you see, the next half of that verse says, For it is good. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. For it is a good thing that the heart be, be established, be established, I'm sorry, with grace. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Now, let's just stop and figure out what grace is first. They've got all of these different things. They're trying to take the name grace. And I've only seen a billboard. Some filthy television show called Saving Grace. 
I have no idea what it's about. I don't want to know what it's about. But I will tell you this, it's got to be blasphemy against the truth of this book called the Bible. And if you watch that show and you know what it is, don't tell me what it is after the service. I don't want to know that you watch that show. There's an altar here where you can repent and get right. Amen? Saving grace has nothing to do with a human being. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is the fact that that holy God that is offended at our sin loves us anyway. That is grace. If you've had grace, if you've experienced God's grace in your life, I like the way my preacher, Brother Thompson, puts it. It says, God knows everything about me. He knows every sin that I've ever done, but He still loves me. That's grace. We live in a world that is awash with self-esteem. Everyone feels like they need to feel good about themselves. Let me tell you where I get my self-esteem from. I get my self-esteem from the fact that God's grace reaches my life. That He cares about me. That God wants to know my name. He wants to walk with me each step of the way. He wants to save me from my sin and every wicked act that I ever have and ever will do. Here's the difference between false religion and true religion. False religion always gives you something you need to do to make yourself better pleasing to God. False religion always has a list of things, and at the end they have the little hook. If you do everything we say, maybe, just maybe you'll get to heaven. That's not grace. What kind of favor is that? I'll tell you what we call it in the real world. We call it manipulation. Do we not? When someone puts something in front of you and says, if you'll do what I say, I'm going to give you something good. We call that manipulation, don't we? I mean, we look down upon that and we ought to, we ought to scorn that. But like I said, just because somebody holds up a Bible and says, listen, this is what I, I believe. Everybody believes what they say. You've got to get into the book. Those are strange. Those are diverse doctrines. They have nothing to do with this book called the Bible. But you know what having your heart established by grace is? There's only one reason why God hears my prayers. Said, oh, that's easy, preacher. You're a preacher. God's going to hear your prayers. No. There aren't levels of humanity. God is no respecter of persons. It's one of the things I love about the Bible and I despise about religion. You ever met a very religious person? It's usually at the end of a very long nose. Them looking down at you. 
Have you ever been despised by someone who felt that they were very righteous and you were unrighteous? I'll tell you, that's, that's not a pleasant feeling. It has nothing to do with grace. I'm accepted by God because he loved me enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die to pay the price for my sins. The only thing that I have to stand in his presence is the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's his grace. Amen? Let your heart... It's a good thing if your heart be established with grace. If you understand more what God has done for you and less of what you need to do to please God, that's grace. False religion is just exactly the opposite. It's more about what you need to do to please God and be a part of what's going on and less to do with what God has done. Oh, everybody gives lip service. But I'm so sick of lip service. How about you? I want something that's real. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed. The cross was planned before the first word of creation was spoken because of God's grace. Now, don't take it another step. We live in a world of such extremes. We got one group that says, I'm going to do everything to earn my salvation, and another group uh, that says, oh, can't do anything about it. God's got it all planned. If he'll save me, he'll save me. I don't have to worry about it. I'll just go out and do whatever I want, and God will save me. Calvinism is such a lie. If it took a guy named Calvin to figure it out, how can it be Bible? And yet it's taught in all the theological cemeteries in this country. Why? Because it's a whole lot easier to teach the doctrines of men than it is to teach the doctrines of God. How do you build up your heart with grace? It's by letting go of what you can do and trusting in what God has done. Amen? That's how you get saved. That's how you live for God every day. It's simply trusting in Jesus. Now, the last half of this verse just goes back and, and reiterates this thing and, and brings it back, and it says, not with, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Now, when it talks about meats... The book of Hebrews was written, there was still a temple in Jerusalem. And on that altar in the temple in Jerusalem, the brazen altar that sat before the uh, main entrance to the temple building proper, there was always a fire burning and there was always a sacrifice on there. There had been a sacrifice burning upon that altar continually since the days that Zerubbabel came only 70 years after the destruction of Jerusalem in 606 B.C., they rebuilt that temple and there had been a fire burning on that altar continually with only a few exceptions. When Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek leader, the came in and desecrated the temple... That had been the only time that flame had ever been put out in over 400 years.
But the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us those sacrifices don't give salvation. Now, today, we don't have sacrifices. At least that's what we say. But we have churches that are built upon all kinds of strange principles, doctrines that are not in the Bible, that if you do something wrong, you've got to make it right. Now, if you'll say so many prayers and put so much money in the offering plate and do so many good deeds, you can make it right. The Bible says, not with meats, not with sacrifices like these. These aren't the sacrifices that God wants. I mean, if you went and you committed a crime and you stole something from a department store, maybe you stole a watch or something like that, would the department store say, well, listen, if you'll come in and sweep the floor for uh, uh, six hours a night for the next uh, two weeks, we'll let you keep the watch and we'll just forget the whole thing. Does that happen? In fact, you could offer to pay for the watch and still go to jail because you stole it. Amen? Now, if common law is that intelligent, why do we expect God to put up with things that no other human being would put up with? Well, God, you know I did this wrong, but you see, I'm going to go to church every, every service for the next month to make up for. That's not grace. That's meat. It's not going to help you one bit. Your ritual... Your, your sacrifice of your things are not going to make any difference because it's a good thing if your heart be established with grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's what God did that I didn't deserve. The motivating factor of most religion is a word called fear. If I don't do what they tell me to, I'm going to burn in hell forever. Wait a minute. Here's what the Bible says. I deserve hell because of my breaking of God's laws. But it is His grace that allows me to escape the wrath of God because He loved me. He forgave me for my sins. Not because He just swept them away and pretended they don't exist, because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for every sin that has ever been sinned. And that's where we go in the next part of this passage as we go through here. It says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve at the tabernacle. I wish we had time this morning, but we would be here until the evening service trying to go through and explain all of these things. But in there was a special sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. The blood of that animal is to be taken in and sprinkled upon the mercy seat. That animal was not to be burned upon the traditional altar that was in the tabernacle or later the temple. That The body of that animal was to be carried outside of the camp, outside of the city gates, and it was to be burned completely. They were not to cut up the animal. They were not to do anything to it. 
They were to take the blood, sprinkle it upon the mercy seat seven times, then carry the carcass of that animal out and burn it completely outside the city limits. That was the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, if you want the proper name today. Here's what it says. It says, For the body of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. I want to take just a few minutes this morning and plead with you about the state of your eternal soul. The world is full of diverse and strange doctrines. In fact, there have been people that have come and they visited and said, I don't like your church. I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry that you don't like. I said, all we do is preach the Bible. So that's the part I don't like. I said, well, if you don't like the Bible, this is not the place for you. Because this is all we do. Amen. Because God only gave us one book. If you don't want to believe what's in here, I can't make you believe, nor would I could. Nor would I make you believe it if I could. It's got to be a free choice. You have got to decide in your own heart that you will come to God for only one reason. He is God. And people say, but don't... There are many gods. Well, you have to understand... Uh, I wish maybe should make a slide of this sometime, put it up on the screen. There are many gods. Little g, little o, little d little s. Anything that you give your attention and your desire and your worship to can become a god. In the Hindu religion, when I was a child, they said there's over 3,300 gods. We had a missionary here, Brother Thakadiel Thompson, who lives in India. He said there's 33 million gods in the Hindu religion. Maybe they added a few since I was a kid. I don't know. Uh, or maybe the person that told us when, we were, when I was a little child says, I'm not going to give them that big number. They won't comprehend it. But the world is full of gods. People make new ones every day. But there can only be by one definition, one God. Capital G. There can only be one supreme being. That's what the word God means. There can only be one God. You can't have multiple supreme beings. Because then they're not supreme, they're equal. It's just a little something to think about. There is only one God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the one that sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins and for mine. 
The Bible says, be not carried about with strange and diverse doctrines. There are so many different ways that man has devised to make himself get to heaven, to either be a God or become a God, or to be like God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you were here in Sunday school, we spent some time on this. People say, well, what about the aborigines that have never heard? What, how, how can God judge them? I said, I don't know. I can't answer that question, but I will tell you this. When God sent the children of Israel into the land of, of uh, Canaan to conquer the land, He stopped to save the harlot at the city of Jericho. Now, if He'll stop and save her, He'll take care of anybody who wants to be saved. I'll trust the character of God before I'm willing to trust your reasoning about who God is. Amen? Could we say amen to that? I want my heart to be built with grace. That's God's favor that He has shown. Everything good in my life is because of God. Everything good that has happened to me is because of His forgiveness of my sins. It's what makes it so wonderful is I don't deserve a bit of it. But He gives it to me anyway. That's why it's called grace. Amen? The sacrifice that God will accept is Jesus Christ and Him alone. You meet someone else that wants to give you a different way into heaven, let's go back. Strange and diverse doctrines, it's not Bible. But, but they call themselves a Christian church. They got a picture of Him there or an icon or a statue. or They got all these things and, and I just feel so good when I walk in. Strange and diverse doctrines. I mean, what could be more strange than a statue or an icon weeping or bleeding or doing some of these phenomena that they talk about? You talk about weird. That's weird. That's strange. That's what the word strange means. It's not in the Bible. God doesn't want our attention drawn to anything, any person, any group, any organization except Him. That's how you get saved, is you come to Jesus Christ and believe on Him and Him alone, and He'll save you forever. Amen? You sound like you don't believe that this morning. Only Jesus can save. He says, listen, the writer of Hebrews says, let us go out the gate and suffer his reproach. I wish I had a dollar for every time someone told me, but preacher, that's too simple. No, that's grace. God made it simple so that anyone can do it. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our altar. That is the finished work of Christ 
is all that you need to be saved. Then, after salvation, let's look at verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. That'll solve the depression of listening to talk radio and reading the newspaper right there. Amen? I'm seeking a place a lot better than here. When my grandfather emigrated to the United States in 1905, they told him the streets were paved with gold. Uh, that wasn't true. They were paved with a whole lot of other stuff back then that we're not going to talk about here today. Because they still had horse-drawn carriages and all those wonderful things moving up and down the streets of New York City. Ugh. There's only one place where the streets are paved with gold, my friend. And that's the New Jerusalem. Read about it in the book of Revelation. Said, oh, I thought that was heaven. No, heaven's the crystal sea. That's where God's throne sits. It's the New Jerusalem whose streets are paved with gold. It's the New Jerusalem that has the pearly gates. That's the city I'm looking forward to. Amen? There won't be a big government bureaucracy in heaven. God's able to handle it all by himself. Amen? And by the way, that would solve a lot of people's problems. We don't have time this morning. But we have so many religions that are out there trying to run the world. God never said that was a religion's job. That's God's job. He'll do a lot better job than you will. Say, but everything is such a mess, yeah? That's because it's full of sinners who won't believe in God. Don't add to the list by refusing to believe in God yourself. Amen? You go to that altar where Jesus said, it is finished. Get your eyes off the things that are here on earth. Verse 15, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. I love the hymns that we sang today. Our great Savior. I love that hymn. The words are an offering of praise to God. They got a new generation of music. You don't know whether they're singing to God or their boyfriend or girlfriend, as the case may be, or whatever. Listen, God's not your buddy. He's not your boyfriend. He's not your girlfriend. He's not your sweetie. He's not your homie. He's not your whatever. He's God. The fact that he loves you, it's called grace. The fact that Jesus paid for your sins is grace. And if you've accepted God's gift of salvation, it says that we ought to be giving a sacrifice of praise continually. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what's going on. 
the economy's bad. My, my future is, is, is dim. I, I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to look. Wait a minute. My future's in heaven. I'm going to walk on the streets that are paved with gold in the new Jerusalem. How can you get any brighter future than that, my friend? And it's going to last forever. We've got to get our eyes off of change. Somebody said, I voted for change. My prayer is that at least we'll have that left when it's all done. The change. Won't have any dollars, that's for sure. It's a scary world in which we live. But I'm looking for a city, not here on earth. Someone said, describe life in New York City. I said, well, that's kind of tough, but the best way I know how to describe it is a place where everything, where anything that can bring joy, a little bit of peace and comfort, and some blessing to your life is either outlawed or taxed out of existence. Kind of describes it, doesn't it? Anything that's good. But it says, by him, therefore, let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God continue. That is the fruit of our lips. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. These are the sacrifices God wants. He wants an offering of praise. I've told people who have problems with their marriage, I said, one thing that you need to do is just sit down. I've told many people this over the years. Just sit down, get out a piece of paper, and I want you to write, uh, I want you to write five things that are good about your spouse. Normally, I get one of these looks like, Pastor, how about one? I said, that's the problem. Amen. My son is learning how to put polyurethane on trim. And he brought me into the room, and if you want to look at it, it's all over there. It covers the whole side there. And I walked in, I said, son, you missed a spot there. Do you see that on that piece over there? You missed the whole end. You just didn't go off the end right. And he said, Dad, why do you have to look at all the problems? He said, there's a lot of good work there. But let me ask you, how many of you walk into something and see almost complete perfection and the first thing you look at is the one little mistake? That's human nature. That's what we're all about. If we would praise God continually, Guess what? 
our attitude about life would change a lot. See, that's how the saved person is supposed to live. Somebody says, yes, pastor, you must have it all together. No, I'm a human being. I'm working on these things. I figure if I need the preaching, you probably do too. Amen? We need to praise God more. It would bring more joy to your life. It would get you off of the bad things. By the way, when I talk about God's goodness and focus on His praise, I'm constantly reminded of His grace and His goodness. And that establishes or builds my heart. Amen? Now, I'm supposed to do good. That's what it says. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. So how many people know what that word communicate means? You, you think you know what it means, but I, I doubt many people know what it really means in the Bible context here. We're going to give you an opportunity to communicate here in just a few minutes. Ah, somebody says, I got what it is. Yes, it's the offering. You say, Pastor. No, I just want you to understand something. This is what the writer of Hebrews said. To do good, to give. These are things that we do, not because we have to. God's not going to take away your salvation. If you don't give, God's not going to dry up His grace. I give because of God's grace. I give because of His goodness. I could never repay Him for what He's done in my life. Amen? And I want to do good. But it's a whole lot easier to do good because God's done so much good for me than it is to do good, because if I don't, I'm going to lose heaven. Do you see the difference between the two? The most selfish person in the world is someone who is trying to get to heaven by doing good things. Someone says, I resent that remark. Well, I want you to think about it. You see, what if no one had any problems? How would you get your good things done so you could earn your way to heaven? You have to find some poor miserable slob out there that's got problems so you can help them and get your way to heaven a little easier. There's nothing more selfish in the world than that. Listen. I do good and I try to help people as much as I can. Not because I need goody points on my list so God will be pleased with me. It's because God's grace has freed me from the burden of my sin and the guilt of my failures and all of those things. I'm free. I want to take that freedom that God has given me and I want to serve Him with it. I want to praise Him. I want to praise Him more than I have. 
I want to sing the good songs of the faith that are special to God and God alone. I want to give them the offering of my lips. I want to give them the offering of my heart by reaching out and helping other people, by doing good, by communicating. And when I do these things out of a heart of love and thankfulness to Him who's given me His grace, you know what the Bible says? God is well pleased. Let me tell you, this will work in a down economy. It will work in an up economy. It will work if you have a job. It will work if you don't have a job. It will work in a free society. It will also work in an enslaved society. It will work no matter where. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We live in a time of change. Everything is changing in this nation. And I'll tell you, I'll be, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm not for the changes that are being made. But let me tell you, that's not where my hope is. Never has been. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be able to do the same things today as I did before, as I hope to do tomorrow. Someone said, what did you change about your church after 9-11? Those of you that were here, you can bear me testimony. We didn't change anything here. Because we were already serving him who does not change. Someone said, but you need to do something, don't you? No. We just need to serve Christ. He'll solve those problems. When the next big change comes, I want to be able just to keep doing the same things. Because I want to serve the same Christ. He doesn't change. Neither do we need to change. Unless you're not serving Christ. Then you need to change. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, once again, we want to ask you to do a work in hearts and lives. It would be less than honest to talk about all these things and not give an opportunity for people who are unsaved in this room to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, only you can work in hearts and we pray that you would today. We pray that you would convict the unsaved of their need to put their faith and trust in Jesus and him alone. Lord, we know that we live in a confusing day with many voices out there. And Lord, we pray that if there is just a need for more information and more Bible to 
help straighten out and clarify these things. We don't want anyone to make a decision just based upon emotion or, or the feeling of the moment. We want them to make a decision based upon the truth of Your Word. Lord, we pray for those that are saved here today and are struggling with life and struggling with the things that are going on, that they would be reminded that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. Lord, we pray that you would change us so that we could serve you and continue serving you no matter what is going on in society today. We ask that you would have your will and your way during the invitation. Lord, the greatest worship that we can do is surrender our lives to live for you day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.